Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Neurological Disorder Podcast. I'm your host, Merdilla Berthy. This week's episode is with Carter, a public speaker, legislative advocate, and fighter of EDS. EDS, or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, is a group of inherited disorders that affect connective tissue. Connective tissue is essential in the body because it supports your organs and cells, transports nutrients, and protects against diseases. Also, the peripheral nerves, which are the nerves that are not in your brain or spinal cord, have layers of connective tissue surrounding them to support and protect them. So, EDS causes many neurological symptoms, which we focus on in this episode. In addition to neurological symptoms, like neuralgia, EDS also causes hypermobility in your joints, chronic bone and muscle pain, skin that bruises easily, and delayed development, all because of the defective connective tissue. Most people with EDS are not diagnosed until early adulthood, since many of the symptoms take decades to develop. Treatment for EDS is focused on managing the symptoms and depends on the individual, but over-the-counter pain relievers like acetaminophen are often prescribed and physical therapy is often recommended to strengthen the muscles and stabilize the joints. Since EDS is genetic, there are no known cures, but there are ongoing clinical trials that are identifying genetic causes for EDS, which may eventually allow professionals to diagnose and treat this condition. In this episode, Carter shares his long journey with EDS, before and after diagnosis, and all the painful experiences he endured. We also explore the range of symptoms that accompany EDS, and we take a specific focus on the neurological symptoms that Carter experiences. Carter is also a dedicated legislative advocate and frequently meets with government officials to raise support and awareness for EDS and HSD, which is hypermobility spectrum disorder. So we talk about how he got started on his journey in advocacy and how others can get involved too. He is currently advocating for the HELP Copays Act, and he shares why it is necessary for this bill to get passed. Let's welcome Carter. Hi, Carter. How's your day going? It's going well. How about you? It's good. So to start, can you tell us an interesting fact about yourself and what you like to do for work and for fun? Uh, something about me is I really like making jewelry in my free time. Uh, I'm calling from Seattle, Washington here, and I'm mostly a writer, but sometimes do a little public speaking. And for fun, I like doing art. For public speaking, is there a particular topic you like speaking about? Yeah, I'm part of the Speakers Bureau at the Real Life Foundation, so I like to talk about rare disease issues. Oh, that's really cool. Um. So could you describe what EDS is and what causes it? So Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes are a group of 13 currently known heritable connective tissue disorders. For most of the types, we've figured out some specific gene variants that can cause it, but we're still investigating the exact causes for the hypermobile type, which is the most common. Um, I have the classical type, um, so it affects my type 5 collagen gene, and it can affect skin, muscles, bones, eyes, all kinds of parts of the body, uh, because it does affect connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about some of like the neurological symptoms you experience with EDS? Yeah, so 
Because EDS affects my connective tissue, it includes a lot of things that nerves touch, it includes the nerves. Um, and so for me, I started to experience neurological symptoms and some of the common comorbidities of EDS pretty young. Um, I have POTS, which affects my autonomic nervous system, and that affects things like heart rate, blood pressure, temperature regulation, uh, all kinds of different things that happen in our body that we don't really have control over. Um, and then growing up, as I got older, I started experiencing more and more symptoms as I started experiencing more kind of EDS presentations, um, like I developed gastroparesis, which when there's an issue with the vagus nerve, it can affect the stomach muscles and make it so that I digest things really, really slowly and it can be painful. I also, because I have loose joints from the EDS, they can put pressure on nerves that are already less strong because of it. And so that's resulted in things like thoracic outlet syndrome, where I end up pinching nerves between my collarbone and my first rib. So in certain positions, my fingers will start going numb. Uh, I've also had things like migraines, a lot of headaches from my cervical instability. And even the last couple months started developing new symptoms like part of my face going tingling and numb on and off. And so it's something that it's just an ongoing thing where with EDS, I keep developing new different kind of neurological symptoms and then we treat some of them and then maybe other symptoms show up later, mm -hmm. uh, which can be kind of scary sometimes, but I've been really lucky and privileged to have found a great team of healthcare providers the last couple of years since my EDS diagnosis to help work through really investigating and treating new symptoms as they come up. Mm -hmm. So as you've gotten older, do the symptoms increase in severity or just increase in the number of symptoms that you have? Um, a little bit of both. I think early on, especially because I didn't get diagnosed until I was 20 years old and was at the point of needing surgeries because of all the issues that had come up that we didn't understand yet. Uh, I ended up pushing through and thinking I just had to kind of keep pushing harder and harder to keep doing things without actually giving my body a chance to rest or to recover or to start treating these things first. Like with POTS, I had symptoms as a really little kid and I've had it as long as I can remember. Um, with things like where I get really dizzy when I stand up and my vision starts blacking out. I get really nauseous when I exercise and get overheated too fast and a lot of things like that. And because I really pushed through and went really hard with sports growing up and just kept pushing and pushing and it ended up getting worse and worse and we didn't really know what was causing it and I didn't get diagnosed till I was almost 21. But now that we kind of know what it is, we've been able to work through some treatments to take it down a couple notches. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the treatments and medications you're on right now? Yeah, so one of the first things that we can do with POTS is increasing sodium, so a high sodium diet, um, focusing on making sure we're adequately hydrated. I also wear high high compression stockings every day, all day. Um, and then also more recently have start a medication to help reduce some of the symptoms with taking down my heart rate and being able to control that a little bit more, which can end up helping a little bit with fatigue and with some of the symptoms of feeling really dizzy when I stand up. Another part of POTS with the reason for the compression stockings is because we usually get blood pooling. So when I'm standing up, 
a lot of the blood rushes down and I end up having my feet and legs turning purple and have a hard time concentrating because I'm not getting enough oxygen to my brain. Mm-hmm. Other things we can do are just, you know, listening to our body when we start getting fatigue and making sure to be a little bit extra careful when it comes to things like temperature dysregulation and keeping an eye on our body because we have a harder time with some of these things. So since some of these symptoms overlap with many other neurological conditions, um, when you were initially diagnosed at, did you say 21? Yeah, 20 or 21 with a lot of these things. Did you experience a lot of misdiagnosis um, before you got diagnosed with EDS? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Growing up a lot of the time when I came in with GI symptoms and seeing that I felt dizzy and having joint pain and all these things. I was told it was either growing pains or I was just stressed out from school. It was just anxiety. I was even told like in my late teens, it was just attention seeking or not really happening. And so it took me a really long time to be able to start understanding my symptoms and to start being taken seriously with them. And then I was fortunate when I finally did end up getting diagnosed with EDS that really opened the door to finding specialists who understood it and could start treating all my symptoms and start unraveling all the comorbidities. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually getting to that point was really hard and shouldn't have had to take 20 years of struggling with these symptoms. Do you believe that self-advocating is really important, especially when it comes to our medical system? Yes, absolutely. It's really important for us to trust ourselves and to keep advocating for ourselves with anything that we're experiencing. We're the ones living inside our body. We're the ones who are experiencing these symptoms and who know best what's happening and what it feels like. And a lot of times when we know something is wrong, even if we don't get answers right away, we just have to keep on fighting. Mm -hmm. So you said that EDS affects many body systems, not just the nervous system. Would you say that the neurological symptoms are more severe or impact your body more than the other symptoms you face? I think that's a challenging question, just because the neurological symptoms can contribute to the other kinds of symptoms. And Mm -hmm. like being multisystemic, the neurological symptoms are usually also part of something else that's going on. Like in my case, I have chronic pain with a lot of my joints. And part of that is having the loose ligaments and having joints be in the wrong place. And part of that is that because they're loose, they're pressing on nerves that are causing other symptoms like tingling, burning, numbness, uh, and end up really contributing and firing each other up with those symptoms. So they're all kind of like interrelated. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of other people have a hard time getting diagnosed with EDS and why it takes so long for a lot of us is because it can affect so many different parts of the body. Sometimes healthcare providers will just see a couple symptoms or want to focus on one system and will miss all the connections between everything else. Mm -hmm. And is the treatment right now, is it just treating the symptoms or do you know if there is a cure to EDS? So there's no cure right now. Right now we just treat symptoms as they come up. Finding Mm -hmm. a cure is a little bit tricky because There are about 13 different types we have identified, and they all have different kinds of causes. Like in my case, I have one of the variants of many on one gene of multiple that cause the subtype. 
So mm-hmm. it can be complicated when we have so many different causes for EDS and it's such a big spectrum. Yeah. Do you feel like CRISPR could play a part in the future, the CRISPR-Cas9 technology? Maybe. I think as we figure out more of the genetic causes, we can start understanding the genes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be challenging just because there's so many. Like in my case, from what I found between different databases, my variants only been identified in about 30 people so far. So I'm not expecting a cure anytime super soon with that. Um, but I think there's a lot of really interesting information coming out of these new technologies and new research that will be really helpful for the EDS community. Mm -hmm. So switching topics a little bit, what are some ways you're advocating for EDS? Um, So I really love just sharing information about EDS and trying to spread awareness. And I also love legislative advocacy is one way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, One part of raising awareness is that I've helped in my state to get ceremonial proclamations passed that have recognized EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorder awareness in May for Washington state um, to help raise a little bit of awareness and so more people can hear the name and hear about it and be able to recognize it. And I also advocate alongside a few different organizations um, like Every Life Foundation and the YAR program, Northwest Rare Disease Coalition. I've also been paying attention to what the Dystonia Advocacy Network's doing and um, just locally what's going on in my community mm-hmm. just to try and advocate and create some change. So how did you get started with legislative advocacy over there? Um, so initially I was involved with a few different kind of disability advocacy groups when I was in college and then when I came back to Washington State um, because my EDS had just caused so many different kinds of symptoms and I was struggling so much. I stepped away from university and when I finally did get my diagnosis, I was really frustrated and was feeling like something just wasn't right and something needed to change. And then I learned about the Young Adult Rare Representative Program with the Every Life Foundation and thought, okay, this sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'll reach out and see if I can help them out and get involved there. And then Once I did, things just kind of snowballed and I was learning more and more about different kinds of advocacy and different ways to get involved. And I knew that something just had to be done and I really wanted to help out and start getting involved with more organizations and more causes and try to really change things because I had a really hard time getting diagnosed and it took a really long time to where I had a lot of joint damage and was dealing with a lot of neurological symptoms and that's not something I want other kids growing up today to have to experience. So in five to 10 years, um, what do you want to see as an outcome of your legislative advocacy? And are there any specific um, missions that you want to accomplish? Uh, For a lot of that, I just want to see more awareness to have more people be able to recognize what EDS is uh, on one side of that. So a lot of times our healthcare providers aren't very familiar with it or they haven't heard of it at all. And that can end up with us doing things that are unsafe for us or end up causing even more delays in being able to get treatment. Mm-hmm. And I also really want to see more accessibility for treatments. Yeah. A lot of times medications can be really expensive or it can be hard to access physical therapy because of 
different barriers in the way mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. So I really like to see things become more affordable and more accessible for patients because we already have to do a lot of work trying to juggle different appointments and different specialists already. Yeah, that's a really good goal. And I really hope that does happen in the future and we have more accessibility to medicine, more access to treatment and therapy. Um, so going back to legislative advocacy a bit, could you talk about the Help Copays Act? Um, what is it and why do you think it's important that it gets passed? Yeah, so the Help Copays Act is currently a federal bill that's one of the bigger players for rare disease right now. It would do two main things. One of them would be clarifying what cost sharing means for insurance, which pretty much means that patients' medication payments would start counting toward their deductibles and their out-of-pocket maximums. And then the other thing would be it would close a loophole in the Affordable Care Act. So any kind of item of service that's covered in your health plan gets counted toward the annual cost sharing limits. Um, mm-hmm. And together, when those th- two things aren't happening, that means patients end up paying more than they should out of pocket for medications. And that can make a really big difference in our lives, um, especially when we have to make a choice because of cost about whether to start or stay on potentially life-saving treatments or medications that could really improve our daily quality of life. Mm-hmm. And for advocating for this act to be passed, do you write letters or do you have meetings with representatives? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to help support this. Everything from spreading awareness online on social media or talking about it with people in your life to making a phone call to your members of Congress or writing an email or writing a letter. Um, Some states and a territory have already started passing this kind of legislation in their states or in their area, Um, but it's something that federally we're still really fighting so that every patient can be able to access their medications without having to deal with really big costs. So for EDS, are you aware of any research or clinical trials that are going on right now? Yeah. Um, So right now, I think there's around 20-ish trials that are either recruiting or will be recruiting soon. Um, That's something you can find at clinicaltrials.gov. Currently none in my area, but there are some spread in different states, different countries, looking at different kinds of things we can do for EDS. for wider research, there is the Ehlers Danlos Syndrome Medical Research Foundation that shares a lot of research. There's some independent researchers there. The EDS Research Project also has like a smaller research organization. Um, and then the Ehlers Danlos Society is also funding some research, helping to learn more about EDS and trying to help the patient population. Um, so I saw on your Instagram that you attended the Seattle Rare Disease Fair back in May. Um, can you talk about some of the things you learned at the fair and what the purpose of the fair was? Yeah, I had a really great experience at the fair. Um, so the goal of it is to bring together different stakeholders from across the rare disease community. So it brings together patients, advocates, people from insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, researchers, doctors. Um, anyone who has any kind of involvement with rare disease, and it inspires further research for rare diseases. I was there supporting Eastside EDS, which is a local organization for EDS, and there were a lot of other organizations and individuals tabling, sharing information, sharing resources within the community. 
And it was a really cool experience because I got to meet a few people that I'd only known virtually with the pandemic. I saw some panels on things like accessing genetic testing, how to access treatments, hearing from patients and their families, sharing their own personal stories with rare disease, which was really wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. And there were some great conversations about some current state legislation, especially from the Northwest Rare Disease Coalition, who's really been fighting for some legislation to help the general community. That's great. It seems like a really good opportunity to learn more about rare diseases and also talk to those who are experiencing it and also maybe learn more about the legislative side to these neurological symptoms and conditions. Um, is this fair, like accessible to all people or is there a specific demographic that you need to fit to attend the fair? Um, so anyone who's really part of the rare disease community, um, anyone who's either interested or currently working in healthcare, whether that's like clinical as a researcher, pharmaceutical side of things, anyone who just is interested in rare disease, whether they're a patient, they have family, they have friends, they're just curious. Uh, and it's something that was done as a hybrid event. So there was an in-person element where I was at, and there was also a virtual element. And the second day, or the third day was all virtual, I believe. So anyone, even if they weren't local, was able to attend and install access some of those recordings, I think, to learn more. That's great. Um, so do you have any resources do you, that you think others with EDS or any neurological condition or conditions with neurological symptoms um, might find helpful? Yeah, I definitely would recommend if you have a diagnosis or you know that you have EDS or another neurological disorder, trying to connect with other people with similar symptoms. Um, I really recommend checking for local groups like on social media or the Elder Sandler Society has resources to find local groups or online groups. Um, there's also a lot of information from NORD and GARD, which are government databases that have all kinds of information on different diseases. Um, and then in terms of EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorder, there's the Hypermobility Syndromes Association, HypeAccess, ADSers United, Zebra Network. Um, there's also a few out there that are focused on vascular EDS, uh, which causes more life-threatening symptoms than some of the other types in some cases, like the VEDS movement and Annabelle's Challenge are out there. Um, but definitely, I'd especially recommend, if you're online, able to check local support groups or online support groups. I know for me, some of the most valuable information I found has been just from talking with other people with EDS and other people dealing with similar neurological disorders and neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. Has having EDS changed your perception on life in any way? Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think for a long time, I really struggled with it and couldn't figure out what was going on why things were so hard, why all these symptoms were happening. But once I really figured out and finally eventually got my EDS diagnosis, it kind of made my life easier because I was able to understand that these things that I struggled with, it wasn't because I was bad at things or not trying hard enough, it was because I had EDS. And then from there I was able to start seeking out new specialists and new treatments and that's really improved my life a lot once I finally mm -hmm. find answers. Yeah, I can't 
begin to imagine how hard it must have been for you to have all these symptoms but not have an not have a proper diagnosis so it's I feel like that would be really hard just to survive every day just knowing that there is something but you don't know what it is yeah I think once I finally started getting answers everything really started falling into place I was able to find treatments and find like lifestyle changes and find other people who really understand what it's like and who get what it's like to have EDS and that has made such a huge difference. Um, are there any lifestyle changes you've made to accommodate EDS um, from like the time of your diagnosis? Yeah, I think things like braces and splints, um, physical therapy, being able to alter my diet as I find new food sensitivities and to be able to better kind of be hydrated and well-nourished with gastroparesis. Uh, being able to invest in heating pads and ice packs and take breaks and rest when I need to. Um, it's a lot of really small things that end up adding up and making things a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest piece of advice you'd give to someone who is experiencing misdiagnosis or is showing symptoms but can't seem to find a proper diagnosis? I would say absolutely trust your gut, trust yourself, don't give up. You know your body best, you know your symptoms better than anyone else because you're the one living them. And you can always keep advocating for yourself and what you need. It can really help to connect with other people with similar experiences, similar symptoms, and try to exchange some resources and information. But know that you always deserve to be treated well. You always deserve to be able to access the things you need and have a better quality of life. So trust yourself and never stop fighting for that. It's a great message. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Um, I did not know about the Help Co-Pays Act until you told me about it. So I definitely want to look into it more. And I will call my representative and ask him, her to support it. So thank you for telling me about that. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I really appreciate getting to talk with you and share a little bit about EDS. Mm -hmm.